between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Posted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we're on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. If you were local, you would dial 702-650-5588. Again, if you were local, you would dial 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you. That is 800-366-8883. Again, that number to call outside the Las Vegas Area is 800-366-8883. We are being streamed live over KKVV's website, and their web address is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just waved to you. We're also being streamed live over at uh, Save the Loss at All Costs' website, and our web address is www.savethelosslv.org. If you have missed any of the previous broadcasts, again, please go to our web address, www.savethelosslv.org look for radio archives click on the date that you'd like to listen to the gospel is always free on our watch so we have plenty plenty broadcast up there so have at it and please tell somebody else about it if you have an apple device we are also archived at itunes at no charge so please listen to us on itunes additionally if you have a cell phone and most of us do KKVV has made it possible for you to listen to the radio station anytime you like from your cell phone. It only works in the United States, and that cell phone number is 653-999-3194. Again, that number is 563-999-3194. All right, so now that we've gotten that out the way, Let's get into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to be talking about today is the sins of the Father. And a lot of people uh, are familiar with some verses in the Bible that talks about the sins of the Father being passed down to uh, the second and third generations. So we are going to uh, look at that and we're going to look at uh, some national judgments. And uh, I'll get into that as to what national judgments are in reference to the Word of God. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Amen? So I am preparing myself for the Scriptures at this particular time to look at them and to uh, bless you tremendously. Now, as you know, I have made a Go to come to you every Sunday with a Greek word. So I am 
That was my goal for 2018, that every Sunday I would present a Greek word to you. Well, I have one for this Sunday as well. So I want to uh, make sure that I share that with you. So let me get the Greek word. And the Greek word that I'm going to share with you today is spelled H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. It's H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. And it is a noun. And it means sin. So let me pronounce it for you. Looks like hamartia. That would be the word, hamartia. Again, that's spelled H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. And it's the definition of sin, and it's Strong's 266. Again, Strong's 266. And it has missing the mark. Hence, guilt, sin, a fault, failure, in an ethical sense, a sinful deed. So it would be the definition for sin. So that is our Greek word for today. So let's get into the scriptures. We're going to go to Matthew 27, and we're going to look at verse 25. Again, we're talking about the sins of the Father today. Matthew 27, verse 25, and the word of God says this. And I'm in the New King James Version. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Again, Matthew 27, verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now, they're talking about the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is uh, the time where He has been judged to be crucified. And Pontius Pilate, uh, who was the Roman governor at that time, uh, where this was taking place, washed his hands of it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He didn't believe that um, our Lord and Savior was guilty of anything, especially for what they were accusing him of being guilty of. He just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So this was their response. And a lot of people to this day want to blame the whole Jewish nation, anybody of Jewish lineage, for this. Well, we do know the scriptures tell us that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy. So the prophecy was that he had to do the work at the Christ, at the cross. He had to be crucified. This is how we were going to have salvation. This is how our sins were going to be forgiven. This is how we were going to be in right standing with God. So, a lot of times, people want to blame people's fathers and put the sins of the fathers on the children. So let's look at this. We're going to break this all the way down. So we're going to look at a couple of things. Like I said, a lot of people want to blame the whole Jewish nation for this right here, where nobody took our Lord and Savior's life. He laid down his life. Love kept him on the cross. He wasn't guilty of anything. So there was nobody who could kill him. Besides, we know that we serve a living God. He was resurrected. He defeated death. He didn't die. 
Okay? He rose again. So he could always raise his life back up. That's who he is. He can do that. A man can't do that. Only God can do that. Amen? So let's look at the book of Acts. We're going to go over to Acts uh, 4. And we're going to look at a couple of verses. So let's go over to Acts 4. And let's set this thing up. Again, we're talking about the sins of the Father. So, I want to take you in the New Testament. And then we're going to go over to the Old Testament. Because it definitely harmonizes. And it's going to definitely answer some of your questions. Alright. So, we are going to Acts 4. And we're going to look at a few verses. So here we are in Acts 4. And I'm going to go to verse 26. And I'm going to read down to verse 28. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the word of God says this. Verse 24. So when they heard that they raised their voice to God. Let me see. No, we need to go in verse 26. Let me make sure I have the right one now. Hold on a minute. Help me, Holy Spirit. Make sure I have the right one. No, that's not where I need to be. So I'll get back to my notes on Acts. Let's go to um, Deuteronomy. So I'll get back where I'm supposed to be with Acts. So, Deuteronomy. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate that. Sometimes our notes are not as they should be, but the Holy Spirit is here, so we're going to keep going. And I thank you for your patience. Okay, now, we're in Deuteronomy. We're going to go to verse 16 in the 24th chapter. Okay, so... Deuteronomy 24, and we're going to go to verse 16. And the word of God says this. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall their children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. So, God looks at us individually. So, it says right here, and this under the law of Moses, it's letting the people know that children will not have to worry about being charged with their father's sin. And fathers should not have to worry about being charged with their children's sin. God looks at everybody individually and their sins will be accounted for based on what they did. Not because of what their father did or not because of what their children did. So let's go to Second um, Chronicles. And we're going to go to chapter 25. Okay, so I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4. And the word of God says this. As Maya, that's the verse 1, again, Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. As Maya was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Jehoadian. Jehoadian. That's it. Of Jerusalem. Verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Verse 3. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. For, however, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanding, commanded, saying... The father shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall die for his own sin. Well, we just saw that in Deuteronomy, where we just were, Deuteronomy 24, 16. So here you have a king. Now, he would not execute the children of his servants because they were not responsible for the death of his father. His father was assassinated and he wouldn't execute them. He only dealt with those who were responsible for executing his father, assassinating him. He only dealt with them because he followed the law that was given down in the book of Moses. So it's very important that we see this. Now, there was some reluctancy on him because he said that um, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with the loyal heart. So, you know, he had some issues. But when you read about him, you will see his bloodline had a lot of issues as well. So uh, I think you should really do some research on this particular king and you will see uh, some problems. So, But he did the right thing at the right time when it came down to holding those only responsible for what they had did and not their children. So it's very important that, you know, we see this. So this is um, definitely proof of what God's intention was in reference to the sins of the father. Okay, now let's go to Ezekiel. So we're going to go 11 more chapters and we're going to go to Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 18 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And the word of God says this. Ezekiel 18 uh, verse 1. And again I'm in the New King James Version. The word of the Lord came to me again saying. 2. What do you mean what you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Three, as I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. For behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. And the soul who sins shall die. Again, you know, we're coming from Second Chronicles. We're going 11 more chapters, you know, further away from when it first started when this is coming down, and this is what it is. He's letting people know. He's restating to his people that you will be dealt with on an individual basis. Now, I told you there's some national judgments, and we'll look at those. There's a big difference between what we're looking at individually and what we're looking at nationally, okay? So we will make that distinction. But right here, we need to make sure that God will look at us individually. 
And we do not have to concern ourselves the sins that what our father did. Because our father will be dealt with accordingly as we will be dealt with accordingly. So he's making it plain. And furthermore, he's telling them, stop using this old proverb. And this wasn't a proverb that they were using when we went to Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five. This is what they were using to justify their decision to crucify Christ. There were a few that yelled that out, okay? But let's also keep in mind that uh, there were Gentiles there. Uh, there were people of Jewish faith. Uh, Herod uh, happened to be a Jewish king, even though he was more Roman than he was Jewish. Uh, Pontius Pilate was a, a Roman, so he was considered a, a Gentile. He was not of the Jewish faith. He was not of the house of Israel. So, and again, he was the one that didn't want to have anything to do with it. So the thing is, is that we have to be very, very careful if we're going to try to say that a whole nation was responsible for something. No, it's people have individual responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ, to give an account for what they did or what they didn't do. You know, we will all have that opportunity and you will not be able to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and say, well, they did this or they did that. No, he's concerned about what you did. And that's the only thing that you'll be able to speak about. And you want your sins to be forgiven. So you cannot go around and act like you don't know that he will look at you as an individual. And it's being reaffirmed to the people, God's people, that this is how it's supposed to be. So now we're going to go back to uh, the New Testament. And then I want to uh, start looking into national judgment because there's some confusion as to how things are actually applied in a certain context. And it'll be uh, very clear to you as... Uh, this is the way that God wants you to consider yourself as an individual. Amen. And not to be worried about what your father has done. Because some people, if they would take that mindset, then there's no reason for them to do what they're supposed to do, which is to be humble and to be obedient. You know, God blesses you for your obedience, your faithfulness. So you you have to do something. That requires action. You can't have that mindset, well, my father did something, so I guess I'm no good. I don't have to live right. I don't have to do right. I'm already guilty because of something your father did. You may not even know who your father is. So no, he's going to deal with you individually. It's about a personal relationship. He's a personal savior. Amen? So we need to get it together, men and women of God. And uh, let our our father, uh, whoever they may be, let us get the lesson on how to, you know, live our lives in according to who our Lord and Savior is. So some things, it's, it's a lesson. And it should always be a lesson. Now let's look at John chapter 9. And we're going to look at the first three verses. Again, I'm in the New King James Version, verse 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. 
Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 3, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wow. Look at that. This is our Lord and Savior speaking. He said, this man has not sinned. His parents have not sinned. He has a new perspective. He's showing them something. He's giving them a divine revelation. He says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So, when we said the sins of the father, there was no sin in him. Nor was there no sin in his parents associated with him being blind. This was to reveal the works of God. Because he was going to be healed. And he was healed. But he was blind from birth. That's amazing. So, again, as Ezekiel told him, don't hold on to that proverb that a man, or shall I say a father, what he's done has caused, you know, his kid's teeth to be on edge. No, this is not being passed down like that. So we must take an account ability for what we do and what we don't do. We're not able to point the finger of a prior generation or of a prior nation. We need to be held accountable for what we're doing in a season called now. So we need to reconcile ourselves to the word of God and understand it and make sure that we're studying it so that it becomes clear so that we can actually adjust our actions, our thoughts, our character to line up. With our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That is truly divine revelation right there. In just those three verses. Again. The man who was blind did not sin. His parents did not sin. In reference to cause his blindness. But the disciples. As you can see by their questioning. They believed in that old. Proverb. That it was. Because his parents had sinned that caused him to be blind. No, no. Jesus made it plain that that wasn't the reason. And gave them the reason why he was blind. Now we talked about national sins as far as national judgments. Let me correct myself. National judgments. Now we know when we go to the book of John... And we go to chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. See, you have to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's a two-part thing. And the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So we have to keep that in mind. You can only worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's how you honor him. And worship is anything that you do. Anything you do is a form of worship. Because 
The Father created you to have fellowship with Him. So the things you do are not outside of the Father. He knows all and sees all. So we must conduct ourselves in continuous worship and and understand that God is always present. You being alive, you breathing, honors him because he's the one that created you. He's the one that breathed his breath into you so that you can become a living soul. And we were created to have fellowship with him. And that fellowship should not be broken. That's what eternal life is about. We will have him in this life and the next. But it's up to us to bring forth suitable worship. Because everything you bring to the Father is not suitable. And this is why he has this wonderful Holy Bible to give us instructions on our daily living. So that we can have the right fellowship with him. And the right fellowship with him begins with understanding his word. And studying it. And living it. This is a living, breathing Word of God. It's not something to just put on the shelves. It requires us to participate. And the word will not come back void. We have to execute it and operate in it. It's a blessing. So, let's go over to Exodus. And the Ten Commandments. So we're going to go back to Exodus. And we're going to go to Exodus 20. That's where we'll find the Ten Commandments. And we are going to talk about national judgments. And sometimes people will um, confuse national judgments with accountability. Because we have an individual accountability. Now, anybody who's listening to me on this radio ministry did not exist when Exodus 20 was being written. So we have to make sure that we understand the context that we're talking about as far as national judgment. You weren't a part of the people that God had instructed Moses to speak to. So we have to understand that this is wonderful knowledge of a divine source that we can understand and see where we are in God's plan and his purpose and how he feels about his people and how he instructs his people. So we have to understand that we were not a part of house of of Israel as this word was coming down as Moses was delivering this word because we did not exist but there's no reason why we cannot get the lesson and understand the difference and how our savior came about the Lord Jesus Christ to help us to understand that we have a personal relationship with him and that he died for our sins individually and that we have to give an account for that not as a nation but as an individual so let's look at national judgment amen so 
Let's look at the first six verses of Exodus chapter 20. And this is where the Ten Commandments come. And Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. 3, you shall have no other gods before me. 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Look at that very, very clearly. It says, for those who hate me. See, that's very, very key right there. And he says that in verse 6, but showing Mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a a very serious contrast here. So he's talking to a specific people and he tells them that he is the God that brought them out of Egypt. Now, we didn't exist at that time. So he was not talking to us who are listening right now because we weren't the ones who were brought out of Egypt. Okay, and he said out of the house of bondage. And then he instructs them that you have no other gods before me, right? And then he says he's a jealous God and that he would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But look how you see fathers. Fathers has an S on it. Fathers are plural. So he's talking about those that are in leadership, okay? Those who are given the word that has been passed down. He's talking about a national, a national judgment right here. So these are his people. They are a nation right now. So they are fathers of the nation. You know, Abraham, we're talking about Isaac. We're talking about Jacob. We're talking about all those that were put into leadership. And he is instructing them and telling them how he is to be worshiped, how he is to be honored. He's letting them know that any idolatry, see, this comes down to idolatry, will not be tolerated. And you can understand that he's talking about idolatry because in verse 3 it says, you shall have no other gods before me. So this has to deal with national judgment because of the idolatry. See, he's telling you what kind of God he is. He is the God. And there's no other God. You will not be able to do anything to substitute him. There's nothing that you can do that he will be satisfied with in reference to a carved image. He's setting it straight right here. And there will be consequences. And there will be judgment. Because they know better. They're being instructed. And so he called them his people. And they are representing him, the house of Israel. So the house of Israel can have no deviation. And one thing they definitely will not be able to do is to practice idolatry. 
and think that that honors God and think that that's worshiping him. They will not be able to bring that before him. So he's letting them know. See, fathers are plural here. Now, most of us have a birth father that got with our mother and we're a product of that. So you have to understand, it's not talking about an individual father. It's talking about the fathers that were given godly instruction to govern the people, which was God's house of Israel. So we have to understand that. That's who he's speaking to in this particular context. Okay, because a lot of people will say, well, I just read it here. Well, it talked about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Like I said, this is about idolatry and it says for those who hate me. So if you hate God, you're his enemy. And there are those who are following gods who are in direct opposition of the most high God. So they became an enemy. It's important that we understand that. So let's look at some other supporting scriptures that deal with national judgment. Okay, I know that most of you are familiar with Babylon. Well, God used Babylon to judge his idolatrous nation. Okay, so let's go to Jeremiah. And let's look this up and see what God has here. So we will find that God will use ungodly nations to discipline his people so let's look at jeremiah 25 and we're going to look at a couple of verses again i'm going to jeremiah 25 and we're talking about sins of the father today and i'm going to look at verses 8 through 11 again i'm in the new king james version And the word of God says this, Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my word, nine, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. Ten, moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Eleven, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. This is a national judgment because of their idolatry against God he wasn't going to stand for that because we already read in Exodus and we looked at the first chapter 20 first six voices as to what how God was going to operate what he told him was going to happen so it wasn't like they didn't know what he was going to do he made it plain and God sends his prophets to warn the people 
Jeremiah preached to them. And before Jeremiah, there were other prophets that came to preach to the people and let them know that remind them of who God was and his word was going to ring true. It was going to manifest. And all they had to do was turn back and repent. They didn't choose to do that. So guess what? The word of God has to come forth. If God said it, it's going to happen. It has to happen. God is in agreement with his word. He's not against his word. Now, do you think Babylon got off the hook? (laughs) No, they didn't. They weren't even God's people. So let's look and see what happened with Babylon. So let's stay in the same chapter, which is 25, and just go down a couple of verses, and let's look at verses 12 through 15. Well, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. 13. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied. Concerning all the nations, 14, for many nations and great kings shall be served by them. Also, I will repay them according to their deeds, according to their works of their own hands. Wow. Now, that's what you call a national judgment. God's people were instructed how to worship him and how to honor him and don't ever Put any gods before him. He says I'm a jealous God. And told them what would happen to them. Well this is. The prophecy. Coming true. Now let me give you. Another example. Now we're going to go to. The book of Isaiah. So let's look at Isaiah. And we're going to look at Assyria. So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 10. That was another nation that was not godly. But God used an ungodly nation to chastise his people. And let's look at that. So we're going to go to Isaiah 10. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. And again, I'm in the New King James Version, chapter 10, verse 5. And the word of God says this. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. Six, I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey and to tread them down like the mirror of the streets. Seven. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. Verse 8, for he says, are not my princes altogether kings? Well, there it is. Assyria was used to judge the arrogant nation of the house of Israel. And then. God doesn't have use for his enemy. 
but to do what he needs them to do. And I see the call. We are going to read a couple of more verses, and then I'll take the call. Now, this is what's going on with Assyria. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. 13, for he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Also, I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. There it is. So God will do away with our enemies. But the thing is, is that it all comes down to a national judgment here. This is not about individuals. This was God speaking to them as a nation, as we saw that in Exodus 20. And this is how his word comes to pass. Hello, you're on Save the Loss at All Costs. God bless you, and thank uh, you for waiting. Oh, praise the Lord. God bless you too, Sister Lena. Look, your, your tracking uh, of, of, the, of the scriptures is, is very good, and I just want to share with you that God started with the Hebrew Israelites, and he's going to finish it because over in Matthew 19, you know, he was, they was asking about who will be in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Some of us, it's not how, it's how you start and then how you finish with God by being obedient to, to his word and his son, uh, Yeshua, the Messiah. And if we keep his commandments and then love and do the things that he did and follow his footsteps, and then that's what gives us eternal life. And in Matthew, there's going to be uh, uh, the 12 tribes, the apostles is going to uh, rule the 12 tribes of Israel, and then the names of them is, is even in the kingdom and stuff, because God is going to come back to his people, which is the apple of his eyes, chose them to evangelize the world. And everybody else was Gentiles. It was in the promise that he was going to graft them into the Hebraic roots of their uh, Christian faith. and But you're on a, a good track, but never forget, God used them, and then he was going to come because our Savior is is a Hebrew Israelite also. But you're doing a good tracking about that father stuff. And so there's no myth and misunderstanding because you're doing very good. All right, take care. All right, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Amen. Well, what our man of God is talking about is that there are prophecies that have been spoken. And he talked about Matthew 19. And the prophecies will be fulfilled. They are written and they will be fulfilled. There's nothing that will be deviate. There's nothing that will be taken out. However, there are people who want to totally say that the Jewish nation was, you know, responsible for Christ's death. And even we saw reading in Matthew twenty seven twenty five, they uh themselves said, Well, hey, look, you know, his blood, uh, the sin will be on us and our children. But at that particular time there were a few who had that mindset. So the thing is is that look at those who've come after. We have come after. And that is not on us. And the thing is is that it's the individuals that God is looking at. And when he speaks to us as a nation, he speaks to us as a nation and gives us instructions as a nation. But we have to understand that we must conduct ourselves 
as God has instructed us to. And we cannot blame things on fathers. And fathers cannot blame things on children. That is not how you absolve sin, by blaming someone. See, we must confess our sins. And we must give an account for our sins. And we must forgive others of their sins so our sins can be forgiven. We have to understand that there are kingdom principles that are working. And they're not going to be deviated from. And you have to be careful what it is that you're saying. Especially if you're saying that it's in the Bible. Well, you need to be able to back it up with scripture. Because there are a lot of people who are using the Holy Scriptures to confuse people. To mislead people. To control people. To manipulate people. And God's word is not about controlling, manipulating, using, abusing taking advantage? No. God is our creator. He set this kingdom up. He set it up for it to work in a divine sense, in a righteous sense, because he's righteous. That it stands on truth because he's truth. He's eternal. Time is not anything that you can equate with him because he's out of time. He's eternal. There's no time to him. And we must make sure that we understand to get the lesson to rid ourselves of things that we believed at one time. As Ezekiel told him, don't ever use that proverb again. Get rid of it. But we see they were still carrying it. And it's important that we get the teaching and the revelation from God daily. We cannot be where we once were. Every day we have an opportunity to be more Christ-like, to get closer to Christ. And how we're going to get there is making sure that we have these great discussions About his word. It's important. People are depending on us. To share with them. The gospel. The truth. It's not our truth. It's God's truth. We cannot commandeer it. Because we feel a certain way about it. Or feel a certain way about people. Or nations. You didn't create a nation. God created the nations. We should be blessed and humbled that he has instructions here for us. And that we won't be misled. That we have an opportunity to operate as he has instructed and guided and commanded. We do this by obedience. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. And that's how God rewards. He rewards for obedience. He rewards for being faithful. 
He doesn't reward for looks and brilliance and stature. That's what man likes. God is concerned with our character, our heart. And do we have a heart for him? Because he only indicated that he would do against those who hate him. See, that's what we have to catch in our spirit. So let's uh, continue with this discussion that we're having in reference to national judgment. So we looked at the Babylonians. We looked at the Assyrians. So we talked about idolatry. So let's go back to uh, the book of Numbers. And let's look at verse 14. Okay, no, I want to go to chapter 14. I want to look at verse 18. So let's go to chapter 14, verse 18. It says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children to the third and fourth generation. 19, it says, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Okay, that was Moses talking. But it clearly talks about how long-suffering the Lord is. And forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he says, by no means clears the guilty. And we're dealing with idolatry here. So we have to be very, very clear in our mind that idolatry means to worship something more than you worship God. God's not having that at all. He's long suffering, He's merciful, He's forgiven. But he will not allow you to worship another God in place of him. That is not negotiable under no means. We have to be very, very careful what it is that we worship. Because God says he's a jealous God. And you want to have no other gods before him. So we have to understand. It's a difference. When we're looking at a national judgment versus individual behavior and choices. And God is speaking to them as a people. But they have a choice in how they operate. Just like we have a choice. We call ourselves believers. Well, there's an expectation when you use the word believer. Believer in what? Believer in who? Well, you have to be able to show by your actions what you believe in and who you believe in. Because if you're not doing that as the one who you say you believe and the one who you say you follow, 
and it's not lining up, then that's hypocrisy. And God is showing him that, that idolatry is hypocrisy towards God. And he's not in agreement with hypocrisy, especially something that's concerning his name and his people who are his people by his name. So we're going to look at um, Deuteronomy. We're coming down to the last few minutes. get there and we're going to look at chapter 5 and verse 9 and the word of God says this you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me God is very clear. He's very concise. He does not change. We have to understand that there were national judgments for his people and the fathers who were leading those people. There were consequences if you were teaching your children to follow in a way that was totally against God. Then we see when we went into Matthew chapter 25, 27 that talked about how they spoke about the blood would be on them. The sin would be on them and their children. And God did not stop us from being blessed because of a few people and their position. So let's look at it. The prophecy is being fulfilled. And Jesus came to die for our sins and to forgive us of our sins. Be blessed. Know about the sins of the Father. God bless you and save the loss at all costs. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit filled, live called in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 
833-5852, North Las Vegas, 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what. 